The Incomparable Podcast, number 55, September 2011. It's time for another edition of The Incomparable. Today we're going to be talking about television, but uh, we're going to do something a little different. We are going to hold a draft. For those of you who do not follow the sports, a draft is uh, when, for example, football teams will pick uh, players from college football. They'll take turns one at a time. They'll they'll take a pick. You can't pick the same player twice. Only one team gets each player. Well, what we're going to do here is we're going to pick canceled TV shows. And the premise is pick your favorite brilliant but canceled TV shows. Uh, so it should be a trip down memory lane, a painful trip about shows that died too soon. Joining me to take this uh, trail of tears are my <laughs> panelists. Dan Morin, hello. Hi, Jason. This you, is uh, how big's your really list? Emotional. This is really emotional for me. Hey, whoa, whoa. We're not comparing sizes of lists, but mine has at least like a dozen. <laughs> I'm sure. 15, sure. Twenty, seventy-five. I know you're a big fan it. of failure, so I, <laughs> I, I, I have espoused failure my entire life, as Scott will tell you. Mm, uh, Scott McNulty, as as just referenced, is also here. Hi, Scott. Hello. I I only watch television for the articles. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Also here is Glenn Fleischman. Hello. Do you I watch television? Watched, I no longer, but I only watch shows that I believe will be canceled. Good. That it saves time that way. That's right. And Serenity Caldwell. Hello. Hello. All of my shows get canceled. <laughs> That's I yes. I'm sensing a theme here. This this may just be a, a, a podcast of shows we watch. Serenity, Serenity doesn't remember a time before there was television. No, wait a minute. Or cancellations of shows. <laughs> yes. In my day, shows went on forever until the, the <laughs> cast members died, and then they just filmed their bodies. They did 700 episodes a season, and they liked it. And they loved it. <laughs> All right. So uh, we are going to begin the draft, and I imagine that there will be some shows that will go quickly. Um, so once they're taken, you can't take them with your choice. Did everybody just assume that everybody else was going to pick Firefly? Much, I mean, yeah. Should I just yeah. spot us? Should we just cite Firefly and spot it as saying like number one is Firefly, but and none of us are going to pick it? I think it kind of goes without saying that everybody knows that Joss Whedon's sci-fi westerny thing Firefly got canceled way too soon and was really quite good and it died young and left a beautiful corpse. But you know, if somebody wants to wants to pick it, we can do that. But otherwise, I'm I'm willing to just put it up on the board. Let's let's take it as red. Was it not on anybody's list? It, it was not on my list because I do not like it. But what? I am an I am an anomaly. I, I knew so. it was going to be Scott. I knew <laughs> yeah. if anything of anybody. Yeah, I assumed everybody else but Scott would pick it. Well, see there. You go. Scott, you get Firefly. I will, I will put Firefly <laughs> on the board. Um, you know, we've talked about it before in previous podcasts. What? So, so what can you say about it? It was great. It's too bad it didn't get. It got like it didn't even get thirteen episodes, did it? It didn't air thirteen episodes. Ah, uh, they made they, they made thirteen, I believe. All right. Uh, all when all are said and done, but it did not air all of them. We're going to start with Scott McNulty. Oh, with uh, the first was- pick in the brilliant but canceled draft. I'm not sure how I got the first pick, but I am honored. It was, we you were, you, there was a lottery, and Scott, as the lowest uh, scoring pan- – I don't know what this means. No, I just picked Reverse Dutch auction. Yes. Uh, well, I'm going to pick my – then, you know, this the, 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 uh, the draft format puts a lot of pressure on. So I'm going to have to pick my favorite one first Please. so that no one else gets it, uh, which would be Pushing Daisies. Huh. Crossing it off my list. Uh, yeah, mine too. Ah, uh, I win. I've done. Never heard of it. I should sign off. <laughs> uh, Pushing Daisies was, uh, I think, two seasons uh, on ABC, uh, created by uh, Brian Fuller. I'm reading the Wikipedia entry right now. Uh, <laughs> you don't even like this show. <laughs> I've never seen it. I just I knew Dad liked it, so I picked it. Um, McNulty, the, the pie maker, and the, he touches people, and they and they come back to life briefly. Exactly. But yeah, so he – the pie maker is the central character. He has this power where he uh, – someone – or a dead thing, if he touches a dead thing, it comes back to life for uh, a minute I think. Uh, and But if they are alive for a minute – and then if, if he touches them again, they die. Uh, so if he touches the person again before the minute elapses, they, they die permanently and he can't bring them back. If they stay alive longer than a minute – 
something else nearby dies to compensate and kind of, you know, balance the universe, I suppose. And so it starts, he finds out he has this power because his mother dies and he touches her. She comes back to life. Uh, his next door, and he doesn't know about the whole minute rule. So then his next door neighbor's uh, father dies because his mother has been resurrected. Uh, and it's very sad because at the end of that night, his mother tucks him into bed, kisses him on the forehead and dies again. <laughs> uh, so, sad, but, but, but kind of darkly funny. And that, I think, sums up the the whole show as sad but darkly funny. Uh, and and so – and it's a brilliant show and the first time I saw it, it's kind of it's, – it's whimsical and surreal. And the first episode that I watched, I, after the end of it, I thought, I enjoy that show and it will be canceled. So I was quite – I was excited that it got a second season at the very least. I believe that was during the, uh, the writer's strike, right? Somehow they ended up with a short season, and then they got back for a second season, and then the, the because of the strike and the time off, the ratings weren't as good, so it, it died, and not to be brought back to life. No, yeah. The, the sad thing about Pushing Daisies is that the first, you know, 10 episodes that were aired had really high ratings, and ABC was very, very buoyant about the show. It was like, look, Brian Fuller made a show that's not going to get canceled, and mm. then the writer's strike happened. Although, to be, mm-hmm. to be fair... I watched uh, the first season of Pushing Daisies and I liked it. Um, I always, when I saw the pilot, I was really worried that it was going to be kind of overly, um, I don't know, just the super saturated colors and the narrator, and it seemed like it was maybe going to be too much. But I never, I never thought it got to be too much in that first season. When it came back for the second season, I, I watched the first, I think, episode or two, and I thought, oh. Did I like this show? And it just didn't work for me. I don't know whether it was just that it was worse or whether the spell was broken. But that second season, I I gave up. So I never even watched the whole second season. That's a shame. It's not. I mean, Hmm. I would say it's probably not as good as the first season, but it's still very good. And it's better than a lot of what's on air. And plus, I mean, it's kind of I kind of envy you now because now you have like good television that's left that you've never (laughs) watched. (laughs) Just waiting around. Serenity Caldwell, you get the second pick. Oh, gosh. Okay. So Dan Morin will take all of my shows. So I'm actually going to go for a show that I don't even know if he's watched yet, uh, which is Kings, which is actually Damn, a fairly – on my list. <laughs> <laughs> They're all well, going to be on you my anyway. list. I'm warning yeah, you now. Pretty That's much. what you get for having a big list, Dan. So Kings is a, is a unique kind of thing in that it was only about 13 episodes. And as it is, it could stand alone as a 13-episode miniseries. But – the premise and the way, like the way it went, made it so great. It's basically a show, a modern day David and Goliath in an alternate reality universe where religion was still very big, but it's but it's not, you know, it's it's not a religion heavy show in the way that you watch it and you're like, oh, this is touched by an angel or anything like that. It's it's very intricate and it's kind of like when I was first pitching it to people, I called it as an intersection between the West Wing and you know, even in a way, Star Wars. Where it's just it's a, it's it's not necessarily it's not necessarily sci-fi per se, but it's it's fascinating. It was it was such a fun show to watch, and the way they ended the thirteenth episode, it made you just go, "I want to see more. I want to see more. Why is there not more?" And it was, of course, terribly low rated because because NBC did not pitch it at all the way they should have. So that is my pick. It was a difficult show to pitch. I mean, it was. I, I agree with you that the. It, it's very much a political drama in many ways, which is a hard hmm. uh, it's a hard genre to to sort of take off, and especially because it's the sci-fi elements of it were very very subtle. I mean, it's just that it was you know it was more fantastic than anything. I mean, it's not set in our universe, but it has a lot of the trappings of our universe, and it's said in a, you know there's a there's this war between these two countries, and it's kind of loosely like you know. Uh, based on on as as Ren said, the Old Testament, but it's really well done. It's got a fantastic cast. Ian McShane, um, he's the king. Fantastic, yeah, he's he the is. king. Um, a lot of other like character actors show up in in secondary roles. Dylan Baker's in there. Macaulay um, Culkin shows up. Macaulay Culkin, Sebastian Stan, lately seen in uh, Captain America as Bucky Barnes, plays the sort of stuck up prince. Uh, yes. and Brian Cox as Abaddon. Oh yes, That's great. Yes, it's, an ex- it's it's extremely well done. I not I was not yeah. sure that it would take off, but having you know, I also watched all of it and thought every time I watched an episode, I was like, "Wow, this show is really good." But it's no one's watching it. Yeah, it was good. It looked good, and Great I love production. the fact that it's the. 
I just thought the idea that it's basically like an American city like New York. I mean, it's not, but it's like that, except it's a kingdom. And so you've got this, you know, really interesting kind of smashing together of, of all these different ideas. And But you're right. I think political drama set in an, in a, you know, sort of like fantasy universe that's not, not our own world kind of a hard sell right because even the people who might be interested in it from a west wing kind of perspective then they get there and they're like what he's a king where is this is this made up you know and i, I don't yeah, know if a general audience would go for it and it's it, one didn't. of those things that i hate to say but i think it sadly was a little too smart for network television yeah <laughs> maybe too complicated sadly. a premise yeah i enjoyed the show as well but it was a difficult show to explain to people why they should watch yeah. it oh okay. yeah it's so, too many things are going on and but I just want to say it's good. Watch it. Yes. <laughs> and then yeah. walk away. And it and aired I'm, on Sunday of all It has things. butterflies. There are butterflies. You like butterflies. There were butterflies. <laughs> Who doesn't? We all love, love butterflies. All right. With the third pick in the canceled TV show draft, Glenn Fleischman. I am going to pick um, a flawed show that I really liked, Defying Gravity. Oh, on nobody else's That's, list? It's not on my list. Interesting. I never watched it. I never saw it. It is on my list. I I really I really loved it. Um, it was uh, they um, as with many television shows that are canceled that are science fiction and canceled. The network did everything it could to confuse people by showing things out of order. It was shot in HD and I think not shown in HD in the United States, but shown in HD in Canada. Um, they didn't show a couple episodes and showed them late and whatever. And you know there's some hackney parts to it, but the idea is that uh, for what seemed to be um, you know this uh, plausible reasons. Um, the it's somewhat in the future, but not crazily so, like decades in the future. And science has advanced well, but not ridiculously so. We're not living in some, you know, Arthur C. Clarke future. It's like what we have now, very, very reasonably, I thought, pushed into the future. And, uh, you know, some improved nuclear reactor technology. And they've developed a multi-stage uh, spaceship that can do a grand tour of the planets. They're going to go to all seven planets, I believe, besides Earth. I think Pluto has already been demoted in this universe. And um, what it gradually emerges that and it's not it's not like warp drives and crap like that. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take eight, seven or eight years, I think, in the context of the show, which is a nice arc for a multi-season uh, drama. And apparently they had plotted out the pretty good outline of the entire, you know, what the arc of the show was going to be because they had the planets to hang this all off of. And uh, the idea was... You know that this seemed to be this perfectly science-driven thing, and there were corporate sponsorship for it, and the astronauts were going to shoot some ads, and it was very clever. But beneath the surface, it turned out there was a, a completely ulterior motive that there were some alien force—not a force for bad, but a force that was beyond explanation and ridiculously powerful—that was driving the mission almost by implication, by misdirection. And um, so there was a grand conspiracy, but not to do evil. It was just uh, confusing. So as the show, the first season evolved, there were complicated relationships. You go through astronaut training, which seemed very serious. It seemed like the kind of thing you would have in real astronaut training with people washing out, accidents that caused someone to get off the mission and so forth. And a very complicated and rich show with deep characters, some actors I really like, like uh, Ron Livingston from Office Space was on it, who I love. And then from... Uh, Oh, what's the uh, what's the show in which the girl is dead? It's another show in which someone is dead. Um, dead like me. Dead like me. There is an actress who is on that show as an extremely annoying character, and her name is oh, which one was she? Laura oh, Harris. The, Laura Harris. Yes, yeah. very annoying on that show. Lovely on this show. Beautiful woman. Um, and complex relationships. Complex things happen, and so it went for. They managed to get through. I think. Uh, 13, just 13 episodes, I think. And I don't even know if the 13th was aired in the U.S. Um, it was an insanely expensive show to produce, clearly. It must have cost uh, millions of dollars an episode, and I can't see how they could ever have made it cost-effective. Um, lots of CGI, lots of uh, separate interiors, and, um, and very interesting. Define Gravity, also on my list. And uh, once again, the first episode I saw, I thought, they're going to cancel this immediately because, A, yeah. it's well-written, and B, it is way too expensive to be a science fiction show on a regular yeah, network. That was exactly well. That's they co-produced it in, with Canadian TV, you know, a CTV and ABC did it so that they thought they could raise enough money to do it. But I think it just didn't catch on. It was cerebral. There was some real science in it. It was geeky. It was too much like an advanced version of reality instead of something that was totally fantastically driven with fake science. Nobody will True. believe that there are Canadian astronauts. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were American. Yeah, they were they're, American. Worth, they're worth 1.02 American astronauts. 
Uh, and uh, the, hey. the network ABC, it was on ABC, and they moved yeah. it around, so you had to figure out, you had to, you know, get like your astrolab to figure out where and when the show was going to. It aired only when the International Space Station was passing overhead. <laughs> exactly. It was beamed directly, bounced off the station to your and, television set. And, and like Glenn said, they aired it out of order. And the worst possible thing, they canceled it, which is fine. You know, cancel it. But they did not air the last episode that was. I, oh, I was right. So they did not air that. Okay. That's just that's a, that's criminal. a thing. They always, they always do that. And it's so irritating. It's like, you're not going to use this for anything else. Sometimes the studio that has the, uh, has the show asks that if a show's going to be canceled, they leave episodes not aired so that when they, they inevitably put the out DVD. a DVD, they can have unaired episodes. I see. Now, they did air, they did uh, air the last episode in, in Canada. Yeah. yeah, they've done it for stuff, too, where it's like, it's ne- this show is never coming out on DVD. Right. <laughs> Yeah, thirteen episodes. It, but it was it was so it was really beautiful. And they, they you know what's nice is uh, the fellow who wrote the series, the showrunner, I think, and uh, I believe it's the same guy who wrote who read it. Um, he uh, well, it was two good things about the series. But anyway, he he revealed the rest of the plot. Like he's like, ah, it's never coming back. So here's what the next seven years would have been like. And didn't give away all the secrets because some of them they hadn't figured out, but gave a rough outline like, okay, that's actually really satisfying because I kind of wanted to know and I would never know. It's possible they'll novelize it or something. It's a good story. Um, the other thing is there's this great little bit, which is that there's a guy who plays a TV reporter in it who is the um, – he's a really aggressive, nasty British tabloid TV reporter who's trying to ferret out all the details and hang around there all the time sorting it out. And he is, in fact, the director of Sliding Doors. And I don't know, I don't know what his directing credits, like how he became an actor also, um, or if he's primarily an actor, that's the only movie he directed, I forget. All right. We are going to move on to our, uh, our fourth pick of the first round of the canceled TV draft. And of course, that will be Dan Morin. Dan, go for it. All right, I, I have to also pick, I think, my favorite among all these shows, or at least one that I just, it pains me that they didn't continue it. And that is a, a short-lived, one-season, 13-episode show that aired on, of all networks, ABC Family, called <laughs> oh, The, the Middleman. Middleman. The Middleman. <laughs> oh. It's one of the best shows to air in the last few years, and, like, nobody saw it. Um it's okay. So basically, the premise of it is that in some ways, it's kind of a little bit like an American Doctor Who. It's about this guy, the middleman, who is charged by a mysterious agency to sort of deal with all the weird, the things that go bump in the night, the aliens, vampires, zombies, you know, everything that you've, you've read about in comic books and in science fiction is real. And the show, the first episode starts off with him recruiting this young woman, Wendy Watson, to become his apprentice sidekick what have you companion <laughs> but she's a little more active than than your average companion um but what's great about the show is that it's all homage to like all these other science fiction classics there are a number of doctor who jokes there are you know jokes about star trek there are jokes about pretty much any science fiction you can imagine there are there are sort of glib asides to comic books all of this um it's a wonderful show that is just it's it's totally over the top and campy but the writing is so good um that i just rewatched the entire thing recently and i've forgotten how how much it makes me laugh out loud it's just there's something about it that perfectly tweaks my sense of humor and every episode kind of takes on a different genre so they'll have you know the the alien abduction episode and the zombie episode the <laughs> ghost episode and they'll have like jokes to things that are referenced to that the ghost episode has all these jokes to ghostbusters uh, including like the fake names that the characters use and um it's it's just such a wonderful show, and the unfortunately the uh, it's left with sort of a cliffhanger uh, episode at the end there. Although it was resolved in a in a graphic novel, they made a graphic novel of the thirteenth episode to sort of tie up some of the plot lines, though not all of them. Um, and just all in all, a great show. But it was on a weird network. It was on at a, I think like Friday nights or something. It has a you know a cast that nobody had ever heard of. Um, and I think it unfortunately had a lot going against it, but it was amazing that it got made in the first place and that they made 13 episodes. So I highly recommend that if you have not already seen The Middleman, you check it out. All right. Yeah, I love The Middleman. That's a great, great show. There's nothing there's nothing not to like about it. And you're right. It is like Doctor Who in the sense that it is a uh, family-friendly, fun. It's not particularly dark. It's not particularly like 
you know, it's it's got violence, but it's sort of fantastical and silly. Yeah, I mean, and... every episode has a Wilhelm screen in it, yeah. so like that tells <laughs> you right there somewhere. what you're expecting. Yeah. They're always they're always hidden. They might just be off, you know, slightly off screen, but um, and it's great. Some great cameos and guest stars. I particularly love yeah, Kevin Sorbo. Kevin yeah. Sorbo as a previous middleman, and um, I don't know if there's anyone in the episode, but my favorite episode, I think, perhaps of all of them, is the vampire episode, which involves vampire puppets. Yes. The thing, I recently watched The Middleman, and the thing that really sort of makes it for me is the dialogue, where they just manage so well to written. play around with the wordplay so much. And especially because the show's on ABC Family, it's like, all right, we cannot get away with swearing. We cannot get away with anything else. So we're just going to find creative ways around it. Well, plus the main character is this sort of, he's supposed to be this wholesome, all-American guy. And so he's <laughs> always saying, like, fooey and golly gee whiz but he's kind of like this very clean cut person but you know the sidekick uh there's a couple of scenes where she swears her head off but they bleep it and put like a black bar over her mouth but like there's a surprising amount of swearing you know covered up as it might be in a, in a show on a family network well it's kind of like yes we know this actually happens so we're not going to really disguise it except for the fact that we're required to all right i am for my pick in the first round of the draft here to close out the first round I'm going to go way back to the delightful decade of the 1980s. And you all know what's coming. It aired, I think, 12 episodes and also had an unaired episode because that's what they do. The 12-episode wonder that is my beloved Max Headroom. Of Of course. course. So Max Headroom, uh, mid-80s, Matt Frewer as Edison Carter and Matt and uh, Max Headroom, uh, Amanda Pace, looking about as lovely as any woman has ever looked in any TV show, as his controller, the the hacker who runs his uh, his connection to the internet, basically, uh, Theora. And uh, is that why Og Theora is called Theora? It is indeed, actually, ah. why Og Theora is called Theora. It's for Theora Jones from Max Headroom. Thank you. And they work yeah. at Network Twenty Three. Their producer is Jeffrey Tambor, who play his name is Murray on the show. And it is, if you go back, I mean, it is it is dated. It was from the 80s. But so many things that that show has to say about media, um, mass media, journalism, TV news, um, even even things like politics and, and privacy um, and security and, and computer security have all come true. It, it, it's kind of amazing. At the time... It it seemed kind of visionary, but also a little bit of a knockoff of a, a William Gibson kind of neuromancer thing. But I'm telling you, there are so many things that it got right and so many smart things that it had to say about uh, about mass media while being a network TV show, which is just kind of amazing to me. Um, a lot of fun for a show that, that I think when it started to come on the air... Uh, everybody just assumed it would be something kind of silly and ridiculous because it features this, you know, this computer generated, except not actually, head who makes jokes and is in Coke commercials. And yet it turns out that it's actually this media satire about these people who are are reporters for a TV network that is slightly into the future, 20 minutes into the future, as the, as the show says. Lasted, tw- <laughs> lasted two very short seasons. The ratings were started out okay went to bad i don't even know why it got renewed but it did and then they they put a stop to it midway through the the second season but love 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 max headroom one of my favorite shows of all time and it is uh, it just came out on dvd and it's a crying shame that they didn't make more oh i should say morgan shepherd who's in everything is blank reg in max headroom which is a great character he's got a mohawk and he he's a a very cory doctorow-esque kind of figure he's a, a um he's blanked all of his personal information and isn't in the system anymore because he doesn't want to be tracked by the by the man so max headroom is my pick because it had to be you kids weren't alive when max headroom was on but i'm telling I you only it was re- great. i'm gonna be honest i only remember him from the commercial yeah so I recommend it. I mean, even though it even though it is definitely an artifact of the '80s, there's a lot of smart stuff that it says. So so check out the DVDs of Max Headroom now that they're finally available after like 20 years in limbo while they argued over the rights to it. Okay, we'll move on to the second round. Scott, what's your second selection? My second selection is it's it's tough. I have two half hour uh, shows that I want to pick, and I don't know which. I'm going to pick the one that I think less people have seen. 
uh, Wonderfalls. Anybody? Aww. Oh, more Brian Fuller. Yes. yes. Brian Fuller. All of Excellent Brian choice. Fuller's on my list. <clears throat> well, there you go. So Wonderfalls is a fantastic, uh, brief, uh, short-lived show about uh, uh, kind of a, a stereotypical 90s uh, slacker kind of uh, went to college, graduated, moved back to her hometown of Niagara, New York, uh, and works at a gift shop by the Niagara Falls, uh, you know, falls thing, the waterfall up there. You may have heard of it. Uh, and then suddenly inanimate objects start talking to her and giving her cryptic things. And she thinks she's going crazy, but the inanimate objects are actually giving her clues to help people. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful show and lasted 13 episodes and features, uh, the pie man as, uh, her brother. Yes. Yes. Of which four were aired. Four. Very sad. And has my favorite, I think, my favorite theme song of any show. I bought that uh, I bought that on um, on iTunes. It's a guy from XTC, right? It is, yes. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a fantastic song. I've, I've driven my wife, my wife crazy listening to it over and over again <laughs> as I cry and watch episodes wonder, of Wonder Wonderful. why the wonder. No, that's, a, that's an awesome show. It was, I, yeah, again, another show that is so bizarre in its premise that it seems like it's doomed to failure and well, it was, but it, it, <laughs> it was. was it was so well done and so well written. I agree. So delightful. Serenity Caldwell, you're up. What's your second selection? Oh, God. All right. So my second selection is a show that I actually haven't seen in some time, but it stands out so vividly on me from my childhood that I have to mention it, which is Eerie, Indiana, uh, which was a 19-episode show that aired first on NBC in the very early 90s, which is where I remember seeing most of it, and then on Fox in the late 90s in kind of syndicated after-school television, which I think when I saw it again and actually remembered it. Uh, And it's basically the premise is this kid moves to Erie, Indiana with his parents and quickly discovers that the town is, in fact, pretty eerie. Uh, And he meets up with this kid and together they basically basically try and solve these very weird things that happen in the town. Like they find Tupperware that allows anything to stay alive forever. So it's foreverware. Um, And like rabid dogs and things like that. It was the premise was, you know, fairly typical kids find weird things that are semi supernatural in nature, but the writing was very funny. And I just like the picture of the show lasted for me years after I saw it to the point where I hadn't seen, you know, I hadn't really watched the show since they aired in, you know, 91, 90, 97. And then I was reading AV club for something and they had a retrospective on one of the, Erie, Indiana episodes, which is like parallel universe Erie, Indiana. And as I was reading, I was like, oh, right. This show was amazing. And I had to stop. Like I was halfway through the article. I had to stop. I had to find it online and I had to rewatch that episode because it's just just one of those things that's in the back of your head. And you don't really realize that it's affected you until someone says, hey, do you remember that show? And you're like, yes, this affected my entire childhood. So it's great. Glenn Fleischman, it's your turn. What what obscure show will you talk about now? Twin Peaks. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks, you know, that was, uh, I watched that in college. We'd get around, gather around the old coal-fired television set and watch Twin and have Peaks. have some cherry pie and watch Twin some, Peaks. So, you know, it's, I think the show, for those people who are unaware since it permeated popular culture, you know, it was David Lynch. It was, a, it was part of the David Lynch subconscious that he's unleashed onto us in many of his films and watered down for television to be somewhat less disturbing, although exceedingly disturbing well, kind of, it, it was a soap, right? So it was sort of David Lynch's sensibility combined with that kind of, you know, Dallas dynasty kind of soapy element, which is such such a weird combination. Yeah, but it was, it as we've talked about, a lot of us on this podcast like shows that take somewhat more ordinary situations and combine them with with surreal elements and good writing. So, you know, there, there are two, I believe, Twin Peaks is on for two, two seasons, seasons, if I yes. recollect, right? And um, the first season had a story arc that was similar. So the, the confusing thing about it is, you know, you open up with this young woman has died, this teenager has died, and no one knows why. And it seems like there must be some kind of crazed murderer. And as it develops more and more, you realize there are supernatural elements at work that um, terrible things are, uh, you know, uh, deep forces that are beyond the scope of anyone uh, 
are are in this little town <clears throat> centered there, and the story centers around uh, Dale Cooper, D.B. Cooper, of course, who comes to town to uh, from the FBI to investigate the case and then winds up practically moving in to... Yep. Um, Kyle, Kyle McLaughlin in the role of the lifetime. Great role, Portland man. Terrifically convoluted show. And so the, the thing that was confusing about Twin Peaks, of course, is that they made a two-hour movie that was kind of the pilot with a rather ordinary creepy ending to it that was shown in Europe if I recollect. The original one, they, they, the pilot they shot an ending for it in case it didn't get picked up and that was shown to, in Europe though, in Europe it? to like David Lynch aficionados as if it was a David Lynch film. Right, so in the in yeah. the TV series was much more complicated and involved you know, people being possessed and midgets dancing and all the usual the giants <laughs> and midgets and all the usual paraphernalia of David. But, but it was fascinating it was something you watched and you, you know, I think it was the lost of its day that you couldn't yeah. quite figure out what was going on nor were you sure that anyone could, that no. the things that you were presented with were so uh, confusing that they were supposed to be like a dream state, and you weren't sure there was an answer. So the first season more or less followed the arc of the movie, and you're, you find out who kills Laura Palmer, although it's rather disturbing and confusing, and not a resolution at all. And the second season uh, you know, goes into this plot involving uh, Dale Cooper's former partner in the FBI, who is somehow super mystical and really crazy and killed the love of Dale Cooper's life. So... Um, and it, the show ended like David Lynch knew the series was ending, and so the last episode is of season two is particularly confusing and ends in an, an and incredibly a yeah well and totally unsatisfying also of course yes um, which is his want so you know I missed I I think the show had room to grow it was uh, it was a fascinating exercise to have this uh, aired on broadcast television and. Um, I don't know where it would have gone because you had to come up with ever more implausible and peculiar situations. But a lot of terrific actors uh, cycle through that show, too. Amazing actors. Heather Graham and... uh, well, Sherilyn Fenn is in she, there. Yep. Um, um, oh, what's her name? The well, got woman the, who was on, I have the uh, list the, here. Laura Flynn Boyle. Laura Flynn Boyle, right. It? Peggy Lipton, who's an Peggy interesting Lipton. character. Yes. Uh, uh, Joan Chen, who uh, did mm-hmm. more later. Piper Laurie was one of her... Great later roles. Right. Ray Wise. Um, great, yeah, Ray Wise. The fellow who um, was in all the David Lynch movies who died a number of years ago now. Oh, what was that fellow's name? He, was a, he played a crazy role in this movie like he always did. Hit lead right. guy in Eraserhead. Uh, was in it Russ Tamblin and Ray Yeah, yeah R- Russ Tamblin. Two people in this in Twin Peaks were in the the movie of uh, West Side Story, the original movie of West Side yep. Story, Richard Bamer and and uh, Russ Tamlin. So it's a very uh, very interesting cast, great cast. Um, peculiar. And David and David Duchovny as a cross dressing FBI agent a couple years before the right. X Files. That's so. right. That's right. The yeah, Twin Peaks great show. It the second season was uneven, although it didn't go off a cliff quite as much as I think some people remember it now. I think they they it was kind of a mess, but there were some great episodes in there. And even though. You always have to ask that question, what would that third season have been like? Boy, I, I, I just I remember watching that last episode and and just thinking, I can't believe this isn't coming back because it was just so interesting and weird and compelling. And my favorite thing in the whole show is Don Davis who was uh, later on uh, Stargate as General Hammond he was a he was the dad of the football hero and he was a uh, he was like a, in the military and the line that gives me the chills even now is he he'd lean into Dale Cooper and he'd whisper the owls are not what they seem oh I and love over that guy. time the suggestion was that like the owls were a representation of like aliens or demons or something really weird and supernatural well, and it was that a was crazy the, well, show folks that was the colonel right the colonel and his role and he, he was running a what they thought was an observatory listening to a space astronomy Deep it turns space. out they yeah. were pointing the way they were pointing the it, to the ground they were listening <laughs> to things beneath the earth um this and also you might point out don davis then had a uh, essentially the same role with slightly less weirdness in x-files playing uh the the uh, scully's Ant- dad yeah. yeah, Scully's dad, who was instead of a colonel, he was an admiral or something. Yeah. So, so Ren, Dan, Scott, did you ever even see Twin Peaks? I have, I have never seen Twin Peaks, though I'll have to admit, I do watch, um, if you've ever seen the show, Psych. They did a uh, Twin Peaks episode called oh. Dual Spires, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is all involves like seven of the cast members from Twin Peaks, and it's oh, all this very that. like bizarre. It's hilarious. I mean, even if you don't... There's a lot of stuff, apparently. There's a whole Wikipedia entry on This is like the only episode of Psych that gets its own entire Wikipedia I, uh, entry. I have to point out, too, this is one of these things that 
it was a cultural phenomenon. This is what's weird about Twin Peaks is the first season, about it people were freaked up, out. And the whole, like, before, this was before the internet. It was before any kind of mass communication. I don't know if you can remember this. Before any kind of mass communication besides media. People would watch in, they would go to diners, because there was a diner that figures in. People would go to diners and watch, <laughs> watch. the show in the diner but, no, with the, other but the fans. the point is, this whole plot, Who Killed Laura Palmer, was like an international phenomenon for a year. And it's like, oh, I'm not going to spoil it, killed her. And then it went to the second season. People were like, well, that's over. And it was like, wait a minute. It's sort of like the who shot Mr. Burns thing. Like, Glenn, it's been like 20 phenomenons. years. Are we not, we're not going to spoil who killed Laura Palmer? It's been 20 her years. father did, but he was possessed but, by... But he was possessed Bob. by Killer Bob, the, a demon who can jump between from body to body. So it wasn't actually her father after all. So in other words, the boys from Supernatural needed to... His name is Bob. We lived over what you call a convenience store. Yes. Sorry, just a little okay. callback. Creepy. Wow. Creepy. Hmm. Yeah, a little scary. Well, yeah. Dan, Dan Moran, it's your turn. I'm frightened. Oh, Help me. I'm, I'm extremely frightened. Uh, let's pick something a little less frightening. Um, I'm going to go with a hard. short-lived NBC series uh, about time travel, because I'm a time traveler. Is it Journeyman? It's Journeyman. <laughs> of course it's Journeyman. Journeyman was a show uh, basically about this uh, this guy. Um, he's a dude. Who lives in San Francisco. He's a, he's a dude. No, he's a journalist. Um, and yes, time traveling journey, journalist. Journeyman, journalist. But, I mean, basically he becomes, you know, sort of unstuck, unstuck in time. time. Yes, to, to, hmm. to take her on. I guess. heard that before. Um, hmm. Yeah. Um, and so he travels back to certain periods in history um, and he ends up, you know – as the series progresses, he starts to realize that he's going to places that have – there's some meaning. There's some underlying pattern um, to the to the people and that he meets when he's traveling through time and the places that he goes. And and while it sort of started out kind of kind of blandly, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds mildly interesting. I watched an episode two, and um, I think I ended up watching most of it on Hulu um, at the time. But um, what, what sort of struck me was that as the show goes on – I think they go in some really interesting directions with it. In particular, I'm remembering an episode in which he leaves something in the past that then changes the future. But the way it changes his present is in some ways very it's, – it's major, but it's also kind of like – it's not like, oh, my God, now we've got flying cars, um, which is oh, – to basically to spoil it, he, he, has a, um, he has a son, I believe, in the, in the – um, in his own universe. And so he, he leaves something in the future and it, the chain of events that sets off through chaos theory, you know, sort of ends up with his son was not conceived that day. So he, you know, he, he had a, they had a child conceived on another day and ends up being a daughter. But what's super creepy about this episode is that his wife in the, you know, alternate timeline that's created, who knows everything about his time traveling, like all that is still con- consistent, like realizes what he's going to do. <laughs> And is like fighting him tooth and nail on this because it's like it's her daughter and it's like her the only child that she knows. And that it was extremely kind of affecting and creepy as an episode when it made you actually think about, well, he doesn't know this, this child at all, despite the fact that, you know, he's her father. Um, and all he wants is to get his son back. But like, you know, his wife has no memory of their son and is very fixated on this. And I think those the, those interesting drawing of conclusions um really fascinated me and as the show go on you also realize there are there are some there's at least one additional time traveler right. around um and there's also potentially there's a scientist who knows more than he's letting on right um and this is where it got frustrating when they canceled it after a season because they had set up all these plot lines um and it started to really kick into gear with this uh, with this this character arc and then you know that was it and so we never found out why he was traveling through time or um, what made him travel through time or whatever. And so I, I think it was an excellent show, though. I really, it really got to me after a while. And of course, you know, I'm sure Jason will, will tear the geography to shreds since it's set uh-huh. in, in lovely San Francisco. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It, actually, the geography wasn't bad at all. I, I didn't, the only thing I didn't like about it was the, um, was uh, Reed Diamond from Homicide as the, who is, he, he was Mike Kellerman, cop on the edge on Homicide. And here he was his brother in law cop on the edge <laughs> and i didn't i didn't like that uh, character at all he was well, no, he was like actual, mr i or, thought it was his, his actual brother, brother his actual brother right yeah, but yeah. he's 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 like there to be a plot 
convenience and or impediment as necessary and he felt very artificial to me so um, yeah that's my that's my pick for round two okay excellent uh my round two pick is um yet another fox show isn't that funny uh but it's a sitcom but it's a funny strange weird sitcom i am going to pick the tick Starring oh, Patrick hmm. Warburton. That was on my list. I wish that... Oh, I wish this show had lasted. So there was the animated tick, and then they did the live-action tick. Patrick Warburton as the tick is fantastic. Um, I also want to call out Nestor Carbonell, who would later oh. go on to be in Lost mm. as Batmanuel. <laughs> Such a great character. And the show was hilarious. And, and one of the funny things about it is because it was a sitcom and it didn't have a huge budget, there was a lot of wacky dialogue there were the, the pilot i think has an action sequence in it but basically the action happened kind of off screen they would they would say that there was a horrible villain or a monster somewhere and then and then they'd go off and you wouldn't really see it because that wasn't the point this was like seinfeld with superheroes in it and they hung out in a chinese restaurant and you know Arthur is the Tick's roommate, and the Tick is sort of very focused on justice, and Arthur is an accountant and is concerned with his his life and how they're going to pay their oh. bills. And remember the, the guest shot in the first episode, Christopher Lloyd talking to Arthur. Arthur's in his moth costume at the accountancy, and he wants to leave to become a superhero, and Christopher Lloyd says, remember what happened to Johnson, and they cut to the scene of another accountant dressed in a superhero outfit being beaten up by right, criminals. Right. And that was that was the, the, the thing that was always great about The Tick in, 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 in comic book form and, and TV form as an animated show and then as a live action show was it was just very funny um, you know, using all the superhero kind of references and uh you know the cast was great the writing was great ben edland who um created the tick for the comics and has gone on to write for uh supernatural right dan mm-hmm. and as well as uh as, he was a joss uh, angel collaborator yeah. yeah he's a he's a local guy actually um because the tick was published through new england comics right. which is one of our local comic chains when i was growing up so i actually have several of the original nice. issues Ooh. of the of the comic which only the comic only ran like 13 issues um it was canceled before its time <laughs> so it's it's it's, it's yeah it's a great show and it lasted again i think 10 10 12 episodes and and uh barry sonnenfeld i think was behind that like like he was a producer on pushing daisies mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken and it's had that same super stylized kind of look but on a comedy it was wacky and i i miss it i i will go back and watch those episodes again and it it died too soon that was a that was just a fantastic show. So the tick is my pick. Do you remember the uh, one of the, the line that Ben Endlet had is like when they were negotiating the rights for the animated TV show, his lawyers were like keep something back, and they're like, oh, let's keep the live action rights back. Ha 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 ha. And who knew? Who knew? Yeah. Hmm. So uh, we're going to shift into the lightning round now because we're going to run out of time otherwise. So in this third round, I want you to give me the name and a brief synopsis, and we're going to blast through another couple of rounds before we go. So, Scott <laughs> McNulty, uh, give us my, your next pick. Quickly. Uh, ah, uh, the pressure. It's too much. Uh, better off Ted. Is Damn a, it. Sh- <laughs> I was thinking uh, off my list, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it, the, this is a half-hour sitcom, two seasons that uh, followed the adventures of uh, Jay Harrington's character, Ted Crisp in uh, as they worked in a giant company called Viridian Dynamics, <laughs> and, and I think one of the best aspects of the show. I mean, it was you know hijinks and and surreal things happening because they have these two scientists that create you know meatless meat and things like that. Uh, but they also had uh, Viridian Dynamic commercials that would so they would go to commercial. And you'd be watching regular commercials, and then they go back to the show. But the show would this, the segment of the show would start with a Viridian Dynamics commercial, which looked exactly like a commercial for like GE. You know how GE has these commercials about wind turbines the and all these things. Exactly. And so Viridian this commercial, you'd be watching it, and it would be, you know, for the first ten seconds, very believable. And then they 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 you know talk about I don't know uh, protecting Horrible the things. world from alien overlords or you know. We make uh, wind turbines and uh, train engines and cows. Well, not cows, because no one makes cows, stupid, and things like that. <laughs> uh, so that's my pick. All right. Ren, your turn. Lightning. Oh, God. Quick. All right. Clone High. 
which I'm still oh, what? Good pick. Yeah. Good pick. I've never heard of that. Clone <laughs> High, yes. Very short-lived animation series, uh, which admittedly I've only seen oh, half oh, of. Oh, this so. is like Abraham yes. Lincoln is a clone yes. and he's Correct. in high school. And... It's, a, it's a high school entirely populated uh, by clones right. of famous people. It yes. aired on MTV about, I don't know, 10 years ago. It's hilarious. It Written is. Written by um, the guy who wrote Scrubs, Bill Lawrence. Ah, uh, excellent. All yes, right, Clone lovely. High. That's My good. pick. Glenn Fleischman. Andy Richter controls the universe. Andy oh, Richter, yes. Which, in which is a great little crazy show that uh, it, it had uh, it went like a season and a half. I think there were 20 episodes, something like that. And Andy Richter plays a guy working at a uh, company that's making military equipment like torpedoes and things, which they have. Well, it's written, it's written by the same guy Victor who wrote Fresco. Better Off Ted, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Better great. Off Ted is basically Andy Richter controls the universe without Andy Richter. Right. So he yes. has little fantasies in his head. It's not Herman's head, but he has little hilarious, very surreal fantasies in his head. He walks through the halls of this old company in which he talks to the long dead founder of the firm who's a horrible bigoted racist sexist pig and um, there's a nice little thing is it's like crazy surreal stuff in a very nice little compact cast and um, full of uh, surprising things and Paget Brewster is fantastic yeah. in that. Yeah, she's boss. she's a crackerjack. It's funny because she's very funny in that. Everything else I've seen her in, I haven't liked her very much. But no. in that, she's like a total crackerjack, nineteen forties style comedian. Dan Morin, Lightning. All right, I'm going to pick a British show uh, that aired for six episodes. Please do not confuse it with the terrible movie of the same name, which is in no way related. <laughs> and that show is called Ultraviolet. Um, Ultraviolet is kind of an understated vampire show uh, starring Jack Davenport from Coupling, uh, um, Idris Elba, who would go on to be in The Wire and a number Bell. of other things. Um, an excellent six episodes. It's all about just this, you know, this British sort of agency, government agency that hunts vampires. And it's it's got some legitimately creepy episodes. Um, it also actually – my favorite thing about this is that his best friend, um, the main character's best friend who gets turned into a vampire – was this little-known actor who then went on to be uh, in a show called True Blood, playing <laughs> a vampire. <laughs> um, but is um, it's excellent. It unfortunately ends with sort of a cliffhanger. It resolves most of the stuff from the first season, um, but is is quite good. And there's at least one scene, I believe it's in episode five, with Idris Elba that just like will have you on the edge of your seat. It's so good dramatically. So highly recommended um, if you can find it. It's fantastic. All right. My pick Jason. is for lightning round is Cupid, the ABC uh, hour long oh, really? dramedy mm-hmm. from the 90s starring Jeremy Piven and oh. Paul Marshall. Lasted 12 episodes set in Chicago. Um, he may be crazy. He may actually be Cupid sent down from Mount Olympus for some sort of crime. He claims to be Cupid and that he needs to match 100 true loves together. Uh, before he can return to Mount Olympus and stop being human. And she and Paul Marshall is a psychologist who is assigned to his case because they think he's crazy. Um, and yet, so so it's this romantic comedy premise, and yet it's also got this wacky science fictional or fantasy premise of, of uh, Jeremy P- Piven, who sort of has powers, but you never really quite know whether he really does or not. They dance that line really finely. Yeah. Um, it's actually by um, the the Rob same Thomas. guy who, Rob Thomas who did Veronica mm-hmm. Mars. Didn't uh, they? They attempted to bring it. They back. did they bring did. it back, yeah. and it was terrible. For like three yeah. episodes. I, I like that show too. I don't think anyone else has ever seen it. It felt like it was very underwatched. Oh, Cupid! It was very underwatched, and you know you can go on the internet. <laughs> Cancellation. You can, you can go. <laughs> you can go on the internet and download these incredibly low quality versions of the episodes. I hope it comes out on DVD sometime. But I'm not really encouraged because Rob Thomas claims that he actually bought his copies on the on eBay <laughs> to get copies of it on DVD <laughs> from somebody who had the VHS and, tapes. He and Brian Fuller should make a show. Seriously, and <laughs> it would get be canceled, canceled before it was made. They'd have <laughs> negative episodes. Some A man from the network would come in, rip the scripts out of their hands while they were writing it, and tear it up. That's how it would happen. They should just go to Kickstarter and they could fund their episodes. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Anyway, Cupid. Good. I, I cannot say enough about how great that show was. As a, wow. it's kind of a romantic comedy with a great edge to it because of the relationship between um, those two actors, between uh, Jeremy Piven and Paula Marshall. So, um, Cupid. All right. Um, now, with our, since you all have lists, I thought we would go around again. Um, uh, but this time, uh, you, you all have still have shows on your list, right? Yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So this time we're going to do a couple, a couple final rounds where you have to just say the name of the show, and the rest of us will just react. 
<laughs> oh man oh boy <laughs> and, be great. and we'll, we'll see how this is so scott mcnulty uh, we can ask you questions too if we need to right. well then i have i think the perfect show for this uh john from cincinnati didn't everybody hate that show? Exactly. That's why it was canceled. <laughs> <laughs> this is the this is the show that that they, that uh, David Milch made instead of doing more seasons of Deadwood. Ah, uh, yes, and it was uh, yeah, Surfer Jesus. Maybe, maybe he's God. Maybe, maybe he's, Jesus. Maybe yeah. he's not. Who knows? Nobody knows. What, I watched the whole thing. I liked it. I have no idea what happened in it. Oh. <laughs> okay. All right, Ren. Um, Caprica. Really? Yeah. I say that not having seen Battlestar Galactica. Ah. Caprica Caprica is slow at first, and then the last five episodes are so amazing that I'm very angry it didn't get a second season. The first episodes were horrible. Yeah. They were slow. They were were worse than slow. I gave up. It was not good. But I will agree with you. The last – I would say the last three episodes are fantastic. Huh. I should go back and watch those then. Glenn? Everything after the hiatus. Uh, Eureka. Hmm. Is it canceled yet? It just, it just got canceled. Just got canceled just like got canceled. days ago. Right? It's, it didn't I mean, have six it had, seasons. It, uh, it had. It, they didn't do full seasons though of all the. Uh, you know, it's not it's not the best show in the world, but it had, it had a lot of charm to it. I was surprised how much I would go back and watch it because it had um, Joe Morton in it, who I love, and I could watch Joe Morton stand at a blank screen for thirty minutes. Didn't he do that in Terminator 2? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> All right. Dan Morin. I'm going to cheat a little. Heat Vision and Jack. Oh. <laughs> kind of show, show that was never, never even aired. <laughs> Be canceled? Um, I mean, technically it got canceled, right? It never even aired. I saw the pilot <laughs> for that. never got picked up. <laughs> the pilot for that is, 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 is it's hilarious. It's a, it's a man in well his talking, pretty uh, great. talking It's a man in his talking motorcycle. The man is Jack Black. He's an astronaut. He's super smart, but only when the sun is up. And oh my god! Um, and his mo- his motorcycle is voiced by Owen Wilson. I oh highly recommend getting your hands on the pilot. If you can find the pilot, it's hilarious. Ben Stiller it wrote and directed and the directed pilot. Directed it, yes. We said yeah. Jack Black, the, I, which surprises me. Like, why would no one like all those people were very very popular at that time? I'm surprised that no one was like, yeah, someone will watch this. Yep. Uh, but still, very funny. Okay. Very funny. I will say freaks and geeks. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good choice. See, Judd Apatow, uh, great one. cast. Uh, Paul, yeah, Paul Feig, too, um, was involved in that. Great show. One season. Uh, sort of the perfect season. I'm not sure whether the second season would have been able to match up, but that first season is a thing of perfection. And it, you can watch it and um, don't have any sharp objects nearby when you watch these episodes <laughs> because they are well, both wonderful and horribly painful to watch because so it's so painful. true. What was the greatest show? The greatest Dungeons and Dragons. The greatest Dungeons and Dragons scene in any uh, in any uh, any show ever. Yes, the community's D and D episode is pretty great. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. So undeclared is the one, Glenn. You were thinking of community's right. D and D episode like is great. One. But James Franco as Carlos the dwarf in the last <laughs> episode. <laughs> Of uh, Freaks and Geeks. I love it. I love it. So I miss it. I wish it was still on. Yeah, a, a cast that, that gave us many, many well-known famous. Oh, yeah. Jason mm-hmm. Siegel and Linda James Cardellini. Franco. And, Seth yeah. Rogen. Linda Fiorentino. Seth Rogen. Yeah. Seth Rogen. Exactly. One more round. Scott? Uh, I will go with The Lone Gunman. Ooh, that's Ooh. on my list. <laughs> that's on my list. I well, I liked it, Scott. I thought it was funny. I it, it was I, I I was forced to watch the X Files, which I didn't. I I liked, but I didn't love it. Uh, the, I was the girl I was going out with in college was a big X Files fan, uh, so I watched the X Files. And the episodes I loved were the ones that had the lone gunman in it. And then uh, when they got their own series, I was so excited. I got a show. Weren't two yes. of those guys like kind of uh, crew crew members who got recruited into the show? They were. Mm-hmm. I love that. And they were awesome. That's exactly who they were. I love that. All right, Ren. Um, since you cheated, Jason, we have to mention Arrested Development. Yeah. Because What do you mean really... I cheated? Well, with Freaks and Geeks. The Freaks and Geeks isn't a geeky show? It's of sort interest of a geeky show. People... Okay, fine. It's in the title. Fine. But you can do well, Arrested I, I hold, Development. I hold Arrested Development covers the gamut on geeky and nerdy and crazy. It's got a magician so it, in it. It does and, have a magician. And George Michael. So there. Yes. And Jeffrey Tambor, who has been one of the shows we mentioned. So yes. there's the connection. The Max Headroom connection. Yes. But Arrested Development, it's great. There will be a movie made eventually, someday, maybe, if we're Yes, lucky. when George no, Michael no, is 50 no, no, years old. Yeah. Jason Bateman just said it's still going on. Yeah. Just heard him the other day. Sure. They keep saying yeah. that. Yeah, he'd say that. Great show. Yep. 
Fantastic show. show. Glenn? Greg the Bunny. Oh, wow. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Oh, Seth Green, right? Yeah, it was um, – and, and uh, um, Eugene Levy, I'm sorry, who played Seth Green's father. Puppets. Foul-mouthed puppets. Greg the Bunny, yeah, it was, it was as it was the Muppets were sort of living creatures among us from a exile from some far off land, and it was hilarious. Incredibly befriend Sarah Sarah Silverman in sort of a straight role. I mean, she was sort of a straight woman in that. Amazingly enough. All right, Greg the Bunny, that was a Fox show too. Interesting. <gasps> mm-hmm. Sorry, um, Dan Morin. I'm stuck with, the, with with half a list of things that are like canceled and great, but I don't want to like, but are out of the genre. So I'm going to go with something that was eh, okay. No, uh, no, mm-hmm. do something good. Something good that's not not geeky, yeah. or less geeky. That's fine. In that case, I'm pulling. In that case, I'm pulling out Terriers. Yeah, uh, Terriers. Yeah. Okay, which was was my favorite show of last year that got canceled. I blame you, Dan, for making me watch it, and then it was canceled. <laughs> it was so good, though. <laughs> It, it was, was a great 13-episode wrap, besides. A, it was a great show. And it did All have right. a good ending. It did. Of. That was a good show. And the theme song was great. <laughs> and uh, my fifth selection is Now and Again. Hmm. Anybody remember that? that? No. Eric Close and, oh, who was it? Margaret Collin, maybe? And it was uh, it's, it's the show where John Goodman is hit by a subway train but government scientists retrieve his brain and implant it in the body of a genetically engineered Superman. Dennis Haysbert is the scientist who has created the genetically, genetically enhanced Superman. And, um, and Eric Close is the, the body of he's the, he, Eric Close is the body with John Goodman's brain in it, basically. So anyway, John Goodman or Eric Close he he wants to go home to his family, his his uh, wife and kids, but uh, the gov- they think he's dead, and the government um, doesn't want to let him leave because he's just sort of a test subject. And it's actually kind of an action superhero show with this other kind of romantic element because he's trying to – he can see his wife sometimes, but he can't say who he is. Great show. Ends on a cliffhanger where he basically goes to their house, takes his family, and they run away, and the show never came back. But great show. So <laughs> the show ran away. The, the show did run very away. Very effective running away. And that was Glenn Gordon Karen who created Moonlighting oh, yes. and then went on to create not the Ghost Whisperer, the other one, Medium. Medium. Medium that's oh, it. Yeah. In fact, just pitched a PI. So, PI so show. a show like Medium, which I found to be kind of mediocre and not any good, l- runs for like a billion years. But now and again, which was unique and really cool, like lasted for one season. I welcome, don't understand. Welcome to network. Now, welcome to television, Jason. I've uh, watched a lot of Medium because my wife really liked Medium. It's, I, they should have just called it mediocre. It's it's no good. It's no good. Oh, but speaking yes. of my wife, she well, I told her the topic of this podcast, and she demanded that I mention my so-called life. So, oh, of course, I'm mm. mentioning my so-called life. Okay, we're gonna stop it there. We've given you food for thought. So, I think we've learned a lot about shows that died before their time. I thought this was a lot of fun. Uh, so, I want to thank again the participants in the in the draft. Scott McNulty, I think you drafted well. I think your uh, your team is solid. Thank Woo. you. I, I I tried my best. Serenity Caldwell, um, you did excellent work as well. Uh, a very nice selection. Much more varied than Scott, who kept going back to Brian Fuller. <laughs> well, he took all my Brian Fullers, so I had to be more creative. Scott's team name is the Brian Fullerines. That's right. <laughs> Glenn, thank you very much. You were obscure, and you, 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 uh, and, and better yet, you brought you dropped shows that that um, from the past, like me, and so then I didn't feel as old. Thank Ooh, you. Aren't the all shows from the past? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> from the deep past. Sigh. The deep, deep, the Twin Peaks past. <sighs> I love Lucy. So old. I still want so very old. <laughs> I love Lucy. Could have gone many more. So old. The Honeymooners. There weren't yes. enough episodes of The Honeymooners. The cliffhanger. I, I miss Jack Benny. Yeah. Oh, I miss let's, Jack Benny. Let's bring him he's, back. He's still like 39. That's he's right. Forever 39. Forever 39. That's... that's that's a terrible store, by the way. If you go to the mall, don't go into Forever 30. <laughs> That's all. It's, it's overpriced, but it's kind of frumpy. Don't do it. Uh, Dan Morin, thank you for your long, long list of TV sadly, shows. Sadly, my team will make it halfway through the season and then collapse. Yes. Yes, they'll be asked to leave. <laughs> they'll be asked to leave. Yes, the fantasy uh, canceled TV show league uh, ends after twelve episodes. <laughs> it never, they never, they never quite get show. to the playoffs. You don't know who no. wins. They never quite get to the playoffs. No, nobody wins. <laughs> no, we win. But there's a blog post afterwards that says so. You have to read the comic. Yes, it explains yeah. it all. All right, 
un- the, enough silliness. Uh, until next time, or until we're canceled. Oh. This is the Incomparable <laughs> Podcast. I'm Jason Snell. Thanks for listening. Oh, who's the guy with the eyebrows uh, from Ghostbusters? Uh, not Ghostbusters, from uh, Eugene Levy. I'm sorry, who played Seth Green's father? <laughs> the guy with the eyebrows. The guy, the guy, with the eyebrows. The guy who's not Rick Moranis. I mean, the guy without the eyebrows would be more identifying, I think. It's yeah. true. He's the guy with the eyebrows. He had hair and the uh, face. The puppets. <laughs> oh, jeez. Features. I confess never having seen it, though. I remember the commercials. Me too. I remember the commercials. <laughs> I like spooky Ohio better. I remember the repeated <laughs> initial letters. Creepy that, Iowa. That stuck with me. Did they Ooh. sing? Is this just something I did in my head? Or was the theme song to that Gary, Indiana, but with Eerie in it? <laughs> I don't remember. Because that's what plays in my head. <laughs> wow. Eerie, Indiana. I think we have to cancel your head. Yes, that's a little creepy. But yeah, I think the worst part of this show, though, is that they did. they made a sequel season, except they made it only in Canada. And it wasn't Erie, Ontario. It, you know, yes. that? that's great. Substandard. Erie, Manitoba. Erie, Manitoba. Erie, Manitoba. E. E. Yeah. What's this mysterious, eh? E. E. <sighs> this is why we have no Canadian listenership. No. I don't no. know why I'm on this podcast. If, if, I, if I were half Canadian, I'd be offended. It's <laughs> the, our Google Analytics map shows a big black space where Canada is. I don't understand that. Yes, my relatives can never listen to this show. That's because they don't have the internet. That's where Canada used to be, Glenn. <laughs> There's Ever. no internet in Canada. Yeah, because what? Are they needed for caribou? They speak English? <laughs> I hate you all. <laughs> <laughs>